Bibles, I invite you to turn to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. If you use the handouts that are in front of you, um, or in your bulletin, they also have the scripture listed on them. If you have a cell phone or tablet, you can use something like Bible Gateway or one of the apps to look up the scripture and follow along. I will be looking at the English Standard Version. I'm not going to read through the text because we're going to read it as I preach through it. But it's a passage that concludes our time of key Bible passages that I wanted to begin the new year with in talking about our faith and learning to walk the talk because so often faith becomes the things that we talk about as opposed to how we live our own lives. And we need to have the assurance in our lives that faith is something deeper than just our ability to tell others about our faith, because sometimes we confuse those. And also, it's an assurance that when we do live a life of faith, that there are times when we're still going to have doubt, there's still going to have times when we're going to have concerns, and that is not a lack of faith, according to what we read in James. It's not about our feelings and how we feel. It ultimately is how our faith affects our life, learning to walk the talk. I had an experience this last week where I was looking at one of the spiritual gift inventory tests that you can take. We're looking to find the right one for our church. We've tried a couple different ones, and as I was going through this one, I got to the question, and it said, I have a strong personal assurance that God will always accomplish the impossible. I read it over and I said, hmm, I have a strong personal assurance that God will always accomplish the impossible. Zero to five. And I thought, wow, I have to be honest. I'm somewhere between a zero and a one. I thought my congregation would be mortified to find out. They'd say, oh my goodness, my pastor doesn't have faith. But the reality is, that's, that's just what happens in my life. I get doubts and all kinds of stuff. And if you don't believe it, talk to my family. I call them up paranoid all the time, saying the sky is falling. And they say, just let it go. Forget about it. God will be faithful. And I realized in that, that that is exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's not about a feeling. Faith is not about just having this sense that, oh, everything's always going to be okay because our feelings come and go and our thoughts go all over the place. And today's text is exactly about this subject in realizing that there are times when we're going to have doubts or times when we're going to have concerns. There are going to be times when we have fears. We are all different on that spectrum, but it's how we live our lives according to our faith. It's learning to walk the talk because we have all come across good talkers in our life. People who can convince us of anything and convince us that they believe all sorts of things. And if we compare ourselves to them, we go, well, I could never measure up. I still remember the guy in my first church. We're sitting in a Sunday school class. And he goes, I just can't compare to all the great faith stories that everybody else has. And it's like, Arthur, don't compare yourself to someone else. It's our own personal journey and our own faith walk. And sometimes people talk and say things that really they sound like they're trying to convince us, but maybe they're really just trying to convince themselves. And we have to be careful about that. Now, I'm a wonderful vinyl collector. I love old records. I have my whole life. 
I laugh about the vinyl revolution. You know, they say how vinyl records have come back. As far as I can see, it's all those guys that I used to hang out with when I was in middle school. Now we're just all in our 60s and 70s. We're just older, bald, and heavier set. But as far as I can see, we're still the ones who are buying the records and telling the same stories and talking about the same bands that we've gone to see in concert. Only now, those bands are kind of coming on stage in wheelchairs and walkers, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but one day I was talking to a, a guy in a store and, and we got talking about our stereos and he told me a funny story. He said, you know, when I was young, I went to one of the big stereo stores up in Boston and he said, they talked me into this amazing stereo. Better than anything else, you will not believe how great the thing is going to sound. He said, the problem was I didn't have enough money. So he said, I decided to go save my money. So I just saved month after month. And he said, finally, it was almost a year later. I finally had enough money. I go back into the store and the same sales guy's working there. And he goes, I'm all excited as I walk in and talk to him. And I say, hi, I'd like. And he said, I told him every component I wanted. To which the salesman said, what in the world would you want that for? I said, wait a second, this was the same guy who had just told me about a year earlier that this was a perfect stereo, only now I realize they didn't sell it anymore, so now he wanted to sell me something else. Be wary when faith becomes that. Becomes somebody trying to sell us something or somebody trying to prove that they believe or have something in their life that somehow we don't. That's what James is warning us about. Faith is not a sale job. Faith is a personal relationship with God. And now we find James, half-brother of Jesus, who's writing to the early Christians this letter. And we have to remember that at this point, this is written about 50 AD, just about 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that the church at this time is predominantly a Jewish group of people. It, they met at the Jewish synagogues, and now there's this group of people who are meeting more like we would have in a Bible study today or home groups, and they're coming to faith in Christ, and they're exhibiting their faith. And James is writing to these very Jewish followers of Jesus and trying to explain what exactly is faith. And the first thing he helps them understand is faith is different than talk. It's not what we say. Verses 14 through 17, he begins in this passage of his letter, goes, what good is it? Or in other words, it is no good. My brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let's be honest, we live in a society that's all talk. Talk, talk, go turn on your television right now. Turn on any of the news stations, people are talking, people giving an opinion. So much so that you start wondering, do people even remember the opinion that they gave yesterday? Because it's talk this, talk that, talk everything, and what good is it? If we're constantly just somehow thinking that our faith is saying things and not realizing that it's changing our lives, we're missing the very essence of faith. When James says, what good is it? The word for good is the Greek word aphelos, which means what benefit? What does it benefit you or me in our life if we can just 
talk a good talk, but we're not believing it and living it and trusting and having a change in the way that we treat other people. What benefit is it for us if we just somehow could stand on a street corner and convince many people to come follow along, but we ourselves aren't personally being changed? Now, we all know about things that benefit us, especially if we had mothers like I did, because we were little kids and it came time for us to eat our dessert, and our mom would say, no, eat your fruits and vegetables first because they are good or beneficial for you. They're good for you. So what he's talking about, what benefits us? What is not just physically benefit, not just what is benefit as far as our health, but what benefits our personal lives? What gives us a change in our life so that we can live the way that God wants us to live and have satisfaction and fulfillment? I like to think of talk faith as nothing more than spiritual junk food. Hear that? Spiritual junk food. Might make us feel good at a moment, but it doesn't really change us. Faith can produce talk. There's no question about that. If we have faith and we trust in God, it certainly can affect how we talk to people and what we say to people, but don't confuse it with faith. Don't confuse your ability to communicate or your ability to testify about things or somebody else telling great stories with somehow making that be faith. Because he says, what good is it? What benefit is if we don't have works? The word here is the work that describes our actions. Everything we do in life has actions. And our actions follow who we are as people. And that's why we work hard to change our actions. Now, if you are a person who has been using your cell phone and you have been sitting at stoplights and you think it's okay to pull out your cell phone and text somebody, you're going to discover that if those are the actions in your life, you better watch out because I believe the law just changed today and you'll get a $100 fine. And if it happens twice, you'll get a $500 fine and you'll have to take a class that you don't really want to take and it won't be a Bible study at Faith Community Church. That's because it's hard to change actions. It's hard to change people's actions, and yet we certainly know that being distracted when people drive is a dangerous thing. I'm always aware of that when I'm out for a run on the roads. I see people looking down at their phones. That's the reason I run on the side of the road, so that I can get off and I can watch drivers coming towards me, so I can get off the road, because it's a scary thing. But James isn't talking about cell phone use. He's talking about how we treat people how we care about people, how our faith affects our relationships with our parents, with our children, with our spouses, with our neighbors. James describes faith actions, and how we treat others is not coincidental. To say, oh, I guess maybe I had a bad day, if we live a life of faith and we trust in God, it changes how we treat other people because we start seeing people as God's children and start realizing the value and the worth of absolutely every single human being. Amen? That's what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. That's why we can talk about dangerous religion. Do you know how you can check to see if a religious group is dangerous or not? It doesn't have to do with their beliefs. We always want to analyze people's beliefs. Look at how they treat people. I talked to somebody not long ago who was a friend of mine who 
left what we would all call a cult. But when he described how he was treated when he left, it was absolutely awful. Not a single person will talk to him. Lost a relationship with his wife, and his wife, who's still in the group, is forbidden to have any communication with him. And his children are refused to have any kind of conversation with him. And when I was talking to him about it, I didn't say, oh, that's a cult. I said, that's cult-like behavior. And he looked at me and he said, that's really helpful, Pastor Stan. Because if we live the way God wants us to live, people can come and go to Faith Community Church and we're still going to be their friends and we're going to still love and accept them no matter what. If we're a church that's following Jesus and people want to choose a different church, that's awesome. Well, go visit their church with them. It doesn't matter. We're not here to force and coerce people into anything and treat people particular ways and forbid certain things for people based on this idea that somehow we know better or we're better than someone else and how dare they make a different choice. That's what James is talking about. If you want to test somebody's faith, test how they're living. And if we want to test our own faith, look at how it affects our actions. Yes, faith can have something to do with our talk, but talk is not our faith. That's why Jesus was one time asked what the greatest commandment is. You can almost see those religious people saying, ah, we're going to get him because if we can get him to agree to something being the greatest and we can say, hey, but what about this? And Jesus didn't even miss a beat. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty much summarizes it all. Have faith in God and trust in God. For us, trust in Jesus and know that he's our Savior. And then be kind to people. Let it affect the way that we encounter others in our life. I started to think about ways in which I've seen people put their faith into action and go from talk to action. And it got me thinking back to when I got my first bicycle. I was a little kid, I think I was five years old. And I got my bike for my birthday, and I know that because my birthday being April 22nd must have been a warm year that year because sometimes in the end of April it was very cold outside and you couldn't go out, and other times it was beautiful. Some days it was so warm that we could go out on my birthday and we'd go have a baseball game in the park across the street. So it had to have been warm this year when my mom and dad bought me my first bicycle. But my dad didn't believe in training wheels. Now, I had friends who had training wheels, and I remember thinking, why don't I have those on my bike? And he goes, oh, we don't do that. And instead, what my dad did is he was my training wheels. And he used to hold onto me and hold onto the seat and walk me around the yard. And one day he said, you're ready to ride the bike alone. Now, that's talk. Because you can do it. That was his words. But you know how I know he believed it? Because that day when he was walking me down the walk... He let go, walked away, and I was riding the bike all by myself. You see, you can say to your child all you want, you can ride that bike alone, but until you let go and let him go, you don't know that you really believe it. I know that day my dad believed it. That's how we're asked to live our life of faith. To not be holding on constantly, but give it to God. To let it go, to give it to Him. True faith is how we live our lives in turning things over to God. It doesn't mean we won't doubt. It doesn't mean we won't fear. It doesn't mean we won't have our concerns. But we literally hand the things over and then we start being changed on how we treat people and and how we live our lives. Yes, we can get freaked out by our doubt. 
and we should only be concerned about our actions. I've never had a person come to me. Now, I've had many come to me and say, Pastor Stan, I'm concerned. I don't have faith because I doubt. But nobody's ever come to me and said, you know, Pastor Stan, I'm concerned about my faith because I'm a real jerk. But isn't that more what we should be looking at? Pastor Stan, I'm really concerned about my faith. Pray for me because I don't really like how I'm treating people. That's what James tells us. Look at how we treat people. If our faith in Christ is affecting us to be understanding that we're forgiven, and man, if we're forgiven, wow, can we forgive everybody else? Because once we understand what God's done for us, how dare we hold anything against someone else? If we can understand that God changes us in such a way that now it affects how we treat others, then our prayer should not be, Lord, help me get rid of doubt. It should be, Lord, help my actions follow my faith. Amen? Lord, may my actions follow my faith, because as James is telling us, that's a test of our faith. That's how we know that we believe. Because faith is different than talk, but it also tells us in the text, and I'm so glad that James put this in here, faith is different than knowledge. Far too often, I think that Christians get arguing over beliefs. We get arguing over, I see it this way, and you see it this way. Verse 19, you believe that God's one. You do well. Congratulations. You're right up there with the devil. Even the demons believe it and shudder. James' words, not mine. You believe there's, there's God. Terrific. Terrific. You're right there with the demons. Because just having knowledge and just having information is not the same as our life being changed and our life being transformed. James literally takes on orthodox belief versus faith in this point in the scripture. And I'm glad it's in the Bible. Because so often we compare what one group of people believes and says is true to another group of people that says what do they believe is true rather than looking at whether we're trusting in God at all. And that's what we're here for. To have a relationship with Jesus where we trust in God and we give things to Him and we start believing that He's in control and we don't have to be in the midst of everything. So we can hand stuff over to God and we don't have to be changing everybody else and manipulating everybody else. Hear the difference? Huge difference. Just having orthodox beliefs, the Bible tells us doesn't save us. One professor that I had in seminary used to say, you know, when you guys get up and you preach, by the time you get your own churches, remember that every single time you preach, you're going to say something wrong no matter what. You're all going to be guilty of heresy. He said, I'm so confident of that that I believe that's why in the old churches they used to always have the creed after the sermon because the creed would correct all of the false teaching of the pastor. Rather humbling thought, isn't it? But we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. There's not a possibility. If we are here thinking that somehow we can dot every I and cross every T and then we can figure it all out and be smarter than everybody else, that is not the purpose of why we go to church, why we trust God, and why we have a relationship with Jesus. It's not about having more information, although please hear me, I believe in studying the Bible and we do a lot to help people learn the scriptures and I'm not belittling that, but don't confuse that with trusting in God. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Comforting thought for me. 
Because, you know, I have a responsibility of trying to do my best of helping our congregation have proper beliefs. And then I read things like this. By some estimates, there are 20,000 denominations in this world, and by some estimates, there are as many as 33 denominations of the Christian faith in this world. Wow! you got a 1 in 33,000 chance of being right. Because no matter what, there's going to be 32,999 groups of people who disagree with you, no matter what we come up with as our final belief system. But then James says, don't worry about that. It's not about getting it all right. It's about trusting in God. That's why I like the story of the severe drought that hit the Midwest one year. And it got to the point, and I remember these days back living in, on the prairie where the farmers would come to my dad, who was a pastor, and they would say, you know, we really need to have prayer for the rain because if it doesn't rain in the next couple of weeks, our, our, our crops are just going to be totally wasted. Like, we are right to the end, Pastor Cushing. And if we don't get rain, there's no way that we're going to have a successful year. And so this year, when it was after worship service, all the farmers circled around the pastor, and the pastor said, okay, we're going to have a prayer service. Next Saturday, 2 o'clock, Mr. Jones Field. Entire church shows up. Everybody's there. Neighbors are there. Atheists are there. People who go to other churches are there. And the pastor stands up and he says, I'd like to thank you all for coming, and I'd like that one little 11-year-old boy there who has faith to come forward. Now, I know he has faith because he's the only one who brought an umbrella. <laughs> Do our actions follow our faith? Do we trust and believe and give it to God? Do we trust God and treat people differently? Do we trust God and learn to forgive when it's hard? Do we trust God and love and reach out no matter what our feelings tell us? Because our feelings are going to change, folks. And even our belief system is going to change. And I guarantee you, if I got you to write down everything you believe today, that five years from now you'd find there'd be some things that you'd put differently. And Jesus does not judge us on our basis of whether or not we're smarter than someone else or we figured out the Bible better than someone else, but we're invited to have a living, active faith that James is describing here and let it change our life because faith is not talk and it's not knowledge, but faith produces change. Real faith in our lives changes who we are as people. Trusting in God is so that we learn that everybody's God's children. Trusting in God is learning that we have a responsibility for this planet and for the people around us and for our family and for our neighbors and for the people we don't like. I think it was some guy named Jesus who said, remember, if you have an enemy, pray for them. He didn't say condemn them. He didn't say talk about them. He didn't say ridicule them. He said pray for them. Rather wise wisdom from the Savior of this world. And that's really what... James concludes this part of this section with verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Let's take Abraham, our father. He was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Then later he goes on and he says in verse 25, and in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So he's giving us two examples of how faith changes who we are as people. It doesn't 
be words that we testify about. It doesn't become information that we have that's better than someone else, but it's real transformation. And he begins with Abraham. And he says, let's go back to the father of the faith. Abraham and Sarai were this couple that trusted and believed that God was going to give them a child. And Sarai didn't get pregnant. And they said they believed that God was going to give them a child, and Sarai didn't get pregnant. And so they didn't really believe and trust God. In fact, there was a little bit of laughter that went on when they got the message that they were going to have a child. But things got so bad that they came and devised their own plan. They thought, you know, if we're supposed to have a child and Sarai's not getting pregnant, why don't Abraham and Sarai's servant cohabitate and have a child? And they did. And Hagar, her servant, gets pregnant and gives birth to Ishmael. Now, if you want to have a family problem, you can imagine what happens now between Sarai and Hagar, the woman who's supposed to have a child versus her servant who does have the child. But good old Abraham and Sarah couldn't wait on God, and they couldn't trust God, and they couldn't believe that God was in control. But finally, they do have a child, and Isaac is born, and now the Bible makes it clear that they now believe, and they now trust. And God at one moment says, okay, if you believe so much, do you believe that if this child dies, the child will be brought back to, from the dead? And now Abraham says, absolutely. If so fervently that no matter what, God's in control and my child's going to be okay. Now that's faith. That's faith that changed who we are as a person. Faith changes us so we know that God is with him and we can trust him even when things seem impossible, even when things don't go the way we want them to go, even when life has taken the worst twist and turn than it is, we go back and we say, I need a faith that's going to change me so I can just stay positive and get through this the way Abraham and Sarai did. And then James says, how about Rahab? Now there's a godly woman, she was a prostitute. Now, check out your genealogy. She's also like the great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. So comforting to know that we have such a good family line as Christians. Now, the Bible says that, not me. Just go read the genealogies. There she is, right in the genealogy. But good old Rahab has this opportunity where the spies come in to Jericho, and she trusts in God. And if she trusts in God, she has to hide these spies and let them get out of her apartment alive and safely. And she's risking her very life on that. Not only ridicule, but she can be put to death. But Rahab has faith and she trusts. Because you see, when we have faith and when we trust, we no longer are concerned with what everybody else says about us. We no longer are preoccupied with what others say we should or shouldn't do. That when we're living for God and we're living faithfully for God, then if others tell us, how dare you believe that or how dare you do that, we take our stand and we go, here I stand. I can do no other because I trust in the sovereign God who's guiding and leading me. And so what James is showing us is true faith changes us. It changes us that when life is uncertain, we can trust God, and it changes us in the actions that we have. And he's already given us the illustrations of what real faith looks like. It clothes those who don't have clothes, and it feeds those who are hungry, 
And it takes on every issue of people who have concerns and pains and hurts and says that if I have faith and I'm trusting in God, I'm going to address them. Faith is a deep and a personal thing. It's a relationship with God in which we learn to understand who God is and understand that God can be trusted even when our senses tell us different. Faith says you're going to doubt and you're going to have concerns and you're going to have fears, but as long as I keep doing the right thing and making the right choice, that becomes the evidence of my faith. And that becomes a guarantee that I don't need somebody to question whether I believe because I just keep trusting and moving forward. Which gets me to one of my favorite characters around faith, a guy named Charles Blondin, who was a tightrope walker in the 19th century. They said he was such a popular character that even President Taft went to see him put a tightrope across Niagara Falls and walk across it. Now, Charles Blondin, I guess, is one of the greatest tightrope walkers, if not the greatest of all time. Why, he did such things as walked across the Niagara Falls and then turned around and walked back on the tightrope backwards. One time, they say, he even walked across in stilts on a tightrope. But my favorite story about him is the day that he walked across... Niagara Falls, and he got a wheelbarrow, and he came back carrying the wheelbarrow. So he's pushing a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls, and he gets back, and there's thousands of people there. And he goes, do you all believe I'm the greatest tightrope walker in the world? And the crowd went nuts. Everybody's cheering. He says, do you all believe that I can put a man in the wheelbarrow, and I can walk back across Niagara Falls? And they started to cheer, and he said, good. Who would like to volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? One man got in the wheelbarrow. That's what we're asked to do, is to let faith change our lives. To bring the umbrella. To bring the umbrella. To get in the wheelbarrow. To change how we treat people. To have a different prayer, not, Lord, take away my doubts, or, Lord, help me figure everything I know more than any other Christian, or that we're smarter Christians in every other church, but, Lord, help us live out the gospel in our daily lives. Let us forgive. Let us be gracious. Let us be understanding. Let us be loving. Let us be caring. Let us be fervent in our beliefs, but in our beliefs, understand that we're dealing with real people who we love and we care for. This morning, as we close our service and sing our closing song, if there's something in your life that you'd like to have prayer for to be more fervent in your faith. We'll have people down at the front of the church and I invite you to come forward. But let us first close in prayer and then as we sing our last song, if you'd like to come forward for prayer, we invite you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us learn the essence of faith. That is not in our words or our head knowledge or even doing away with our doubts because they're going to be there. But may we understand that it is something that changes how we live and may we see, not others see, but way we see that the substance of our faith is a change that you're bringing about in our daily lives. We thank you for the opportunity to be in worship together. We thank you to be in the opportunity to sing your praises. But most importantly, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives to make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.